This is, is In The queue. Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. It is. I'm your co-host, Phil. And I just want to say that uh, Andrew and I hope to do a better review of this film than Rex Reed did. Oh. <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah. I don't think it'll take much. Um, mm. Especially since it will uh, likely be a, a spirited conversation, a good one. I'm hoping. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm your other co-host. And uh, for every Crimson Peak or Pacific Rim that Guillermo del Toro puts out, uh, maybe there's maybe it's a two-to-one ratio, uh, two of those kind of films to every one of these kind of films. I'll take that ratio for the rest of eternity because, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. His, that final... Exclamation says it all. We're talking about The Shape of Water, which, as you know, if you watch the Golden Globes, uh, was the most nominated film this year. It was. And it walked away with a directing prize for Guillermo del Toro. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly, this film is sprung out of his imagination. uh, And it's very vividly realized. It is. Uh, we're going to talk all about it, as we are wont to do in just a moment. Um, first, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q.com. We also have a Facebook page. Just search Facebook for In The Q. Q-U-E-U-E is how that word is spelled. And on both those places that I just mentioned, you'll find all of our episodes. Oh, yeah. And you'll also be able to leave comments for us. In fact, we request that you do that on our Facebook page because that's how we can get back to you really easily. And uh, after this Oscar season winds down, we're going to get back to having guests on the show every week. Yeah. So if you, if you have a film that you want to talk about, hit us up on Facebook and we'll get in touch with you. Also, we have a Twitter. We are at ITQ Podcast. And then lastly, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on various podcast apps like Podcast or Overcast and whatnot. And we feel if you like our show, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could write us a positive review on iTunes to help us spread the word. Yeah. And 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 get in the queue out there to all those people who who like intelligent film conversations. That's what we offer. That's us. That is our angle, folks. Now. Without further ado, today's film is The Shape of Water. You clean that lab, you get out. She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. The thing we keep in there is an affront. And I should know, I dragged it all the way here. lot of blood. What went on in here? It was you that found my fingers. There was mustard on them. The Soviets want it. We know that much. We need to take it apart, learn how it works. What happened? It's an animal. Just keeping it tame. Save him, or let him die. Don't do this, Eliza. Don't do this. 
I'm gonna be synchronizing our watches just like they do in the movies. Oh, woman, we go burn in hell. Do you have it? No! Sir, I'm getting it back. Our concern is the Russians. And fuck this mess. You delivered, right? Right? We didn't see nothing. What am I doing? Interviewing the shit cleaners. He's a wild creature. We can't ask him to be anything else. You were speaking Russian, Bob! Finish the job, son. Eliza, honey, he's coming for you. Sounds like an story. exciting movie. A lot of story in that trailer. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is a this is this film is very rich in many different ways. Uh, the the story, the premise I'll give you uh, takes place in a top secret research facility in the 1960s during the the Cold War, and there is an asset that the government has acquired, and the asset is a fish man, not unlike Creature from the Black Lagoon, a film that. Del Toro references. Sure. And in this research facility, there is a uh, a mute woman by the name of Eliza, played by Sally Hawkins, who uh, cleans up along with her coworker Octavia. Janitorial uh, actor's name. Yeah. <laughs> Octavia yes. Spencer's the actress, and uh, Octavia's character is named Zelda. Mm-hmm. So you got Zelda and Eliza, mm-hmm. and uh, they start to sort of see the assets swimming around. Eliza in particular is, is drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And basically she, and along with her friends, uh, decide that they don't like the fact that this beautiful individualistic creature is being tortured in effect by, by the evil government, uh, in the form of Michael Shannon's character, Richard Strickland. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the premise i'm not i don't want to spoil too much of the uh, sure, sure. plot for everybody but this is a very imaginative film it is from guillermo del toro written and directed by him you might say a bit of a return to form for him you can kind of tell like this movie along with movies like pan's labyrinth and the devil's backbone are the kind of films that he really invests himself in well, it's uh, you know, funny you ways. say that because in his Golden Globes acceptance speech for Best Director, he said there were three times in my life that making movies saved my life, and those were the three films that he mentioned. And I don't think it's coincidental that those are definitely his three best films. No argument here. Um, <laughs> although uh, I'm going to go ahead and... Tip my hand, I would put this film near the bottom. Of oh, those three. interesting, yeah. interesting, very interesting. I would not. I would. I mean, this is definitely one of his top three most, I guess, fully realized sure. films. Sure. But I, I was not charmed by this movie. Oh wow. Uh, but you know, to kind of to give credit where credit is due, Sally Hawkins turns in 
a great performance. No um, question. No question. She is she she hardly speaks, of course, but there's one scene in particular where she has to communicate to her co-star Richard Jenkins oh, uh, why exactly why it is <laughs> she she is so taken with this monstrous fish mm. creature. And um she uses sign language with such enthusiasm and passion to explain how, you know, when, when the creature sees me, he doesn't see how I'm incomplete. And, um, that kind of passionate scene went a long way towards making me believe that this character, Eliza would be emotionally and sexually attracted to the fish creature. Sure. But overall, I thought that this film was kind of a mishmash. Um, it's, it's, as I mentioned, very imaginative, of course. Uh, but it's, it seems to be a collection of different ideas and premises and characters, time periods, schools of thought that kind of fascinate Guillermo del Toro. So he just kind of, let's put them all together in one big movie. Mm. Uh, You've got his fascination with monsters. You've got his love of movies and musicals in particular. Yeah. yeah. And um, they kind of come together. Uh, Now there's a couple things, couple thoughts that I had while I was watching this movie that I would have done differently. And I don't know if that would be insightful for anybody else to hear, but when I was watching this film, I thought the musical score, it it's too indicative. It, the it, Golden it, Globe winning <laughs> musical score? Yeah, man. I thought the Alexander Desplat's score told me how to feel the whole time rather than kind of emphasize the weirdness and the, the bizarreness of everything. Interesting. And I thought, I thought Michael Shannon's character – if you're going to make a film like this that has absolutely nothing realistic in it, where the most of the characters don't even seem to behave in any kind of natural way, I think Michael Shannon's villain should have been much more over the top. I think he should have been more like, you know, Jack Nicholson from The Shining. I think he should have been like really just way, way amped up the energy because interesting. this this movie is is fantastical. It's it's it's. It's uh, totally from the imagination of of, of the writer director, and uh, if I were to see it again, uh, perhaps I'd feel differently. But at the time in the theater, I just uh, I I was not won over really by by how much uh, craft went into it because there is a lot of good craft in it. Wow. I just didn't really like it that much. Wow, you sound like me talking about Pacific Rim. Uh, <laughs> Or Crimson Peak or uh, Blade Two, um, but not Pan's Labyrinth. But not Pan's Labyrinth. Not The Devil's Backbone, which we just did an episode on very recently. Sure. Um, which is, I think, still to this day, even after this film, my favorite of Guillermo del Toro's films. Mm. Um, it's very interesting. Can I ask you how do, mm. how you feel about? let's say the Hans Zimmer score for Dunkirk or any John Williams score ever, because I feel like those are very indicative as well. I mean, like John Williams tells you exactly what to think always. And it's perfect. (laughs) I think the score should fit the film. Um, And I, I sort of see star Wars 
to quote your example, uh, as a as a different kind of film than The Shape of Water. I see that Star Wars is that kind of rah rah popcorn blockbuster. Shape of Water is doesn't have the same kind of aim. I feel I I, I would say Sh- Shape of Water is more uh, an intimate character study slash love story more than it is anything else. Um, with with a you know a healthy dose of sort of Cold War action flick kind of layered on top of it. To put it a little bit more explicitly, <coughs> I would say that the score, and I'm pretty sure this is what they were going for, kind of mimics the feeling of a classic musical from the time period in which the film is set. And this movie does contain elements of a musical. And there's even a my favorite part of the film actually is a is a dream sequence where the the manfish actually participates in a musical number, which is explicitly uh, a, a parody slash recreation of a classic musical number. Sure. But um, I feel like they, the mood they should have gone with musically is not a, a musical, but a horror film. I feel the musical score should have emphasized the, the unfamiliarity of everything. Oh man. Um, okay. Where to start? Where to start? Uh, <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially on the score, because I actually remarked to myself as I was watching the film, how much I loved the score. Uh, I think it's a great score. And I think that part of the reason that it is great is because it nails that the, the whimsy and the effortlessness of, of sort of love Um, at its core. This is really a love story. It's not a horror film. It's not a, it's not really a science fiction film, even though it is, um, it's really a love story, and I think that uh, part of the message of of the film, if you will, is that love transcends, right? It transcends these boundaries of species, transcends mm-hmm. the boundary of language, it transcends the boundaries that are set in place by the humans in this world, and uh, and I think that 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 the score then serves to also transcend that boundary and it doesn't play up the weirdness as you say of the environment or the circumstances nor does it play up the horror of this of the film because for the most part this film is subjective uh it's the subjective experience of sally hawkins character right it's it it's eliza's story yes and while we do spend a little bit of time with uh michael shannon's character we spend a little bit of time with uh zelda octavia spencer's character and a little bit of time with or quite a bit of time with uh michael stuhlbarg and uh richard jenkins characters uh it's really her story and it's her love story and as such the music that plays non-diegetically over the course of the film serves to highlight how she's feeling at any given moment, right? She isn't feeling frightened or uh, threatened or any of those things until she is, at which point the score makes a pretty drastic shift. And as you say, it may be a little bit indicative. Um, It tells us what to feel, but it, it makes a pretty strong shift towards the kinds of things that you would associate with chase sequences and, and, action and 
all of that mm-hmm. kind of fun stuff. Um, I, I, I feel like because it's kind of a subjective film and we're experiencing it from Eliza's point of view, uh, there's no reason for it to be weird or creepy or unusual because she does not find our darling fish man to be any of those things. I think that's fair. I think that's a you know reasonable explanation that yes, this is her story, and uh, despite circumstances that might me might make me feel differently, uh, <laughs> she is totally one hundred percent for this fish man, um, even though she could easily have a human man, I think, and be have a perhaps more uh <laughs> a more uh homo sapien like relationship but that's not what this story is about no it's not um i think that uh when it comes to something like music yeah it's 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 hard to completely win an argument i feel but the fact is uh i thought this movie was just a little bit weirder than a love story i thought that uh there was just too many different things going on that uh, I I didn't want to have that kind of a, a indicating all the time, or e- even when it was just with Eliza. But anyway, let's not. I don't want to belabor that point. Sure. But there's other things to talk about. Sure. Uh, also, this movie is. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't vote for Donald Trump, but this movie is such a often heavy-handed reaction to what's been happening in the United States since Trump was elected. Really? That I find a lot of the the subtext to be kind of clumsy and and not and unneeded in a fantasy story. It was a little the politics I thought were a little too, I guess, on the nose. I don't know, man. I feel like this thing's been brewing since long before Trump was even in the race. Like this is a this is a Guillermo del Toro brainchild set in the era of classic science fiction movies, which most of which uh, were made in the Cold War era in the 50s and 60s following uh, World War II. Um, I feel like this I feel like this movie is so it's set in that time in that place because this is exactly what where Guillermo del Toro wanted to set a movie because he hasn't made a movie in that time and place and Obviously, oh, yeah, he yeah. grew up watching all of those uh, Atomic Age uh, science fiction flicks, and he wanted to make one of his own. So yeah, the Russians, sure. the Cold War, the Russians coming in, the authoritative figures, the 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 people in the government with daddy issues. I feel like that was all probably baked into this plot well before Donald Trump. Like we can. We can read into it about the politics of today, but I mean, this movie was probably in production before the election, at least. Yes, it was. But also, I follow Guillermo del Toro on Twitter. Oh. And I, I see what he posts. And he's been posting uh, a lot since uh, sure. Trump was elected about the the direction he thinks we are going. And he, sure. He lives, sure. In, he lives in Los Angeles now. And uh, he's he's not happy. So, you know, that's fine. Good on um, him. Good on him. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean these are all just these are all just things that kept me from falling in love with this film. Uh interesting. interesting. But I, I I have to I can't deny the fact that there's a lot of craft, especially the cinematography is very impressive. 
Uh, the direction is impressive. I think that this he cares about this story. He loves monsters, as he said in his Golden Globe speech, and he wants oh, yeah. he wants he wanted to have a monster be part of a love story, and that's that was his desire. Uh, I just kind of felt like it was there that that central idea. I thought was harder for me to kind of suspend my disbelief that that Eliza would totally fall in love with the fish man and and want to experience sexual pleasures with it. <laughs> so you just you just didn't get on the bandwagon with the movie, which that's is like, a, which is a, fine, I guess. A general way to put it, yeah. Yeah, I I didn't have that problem. I was I was uh sold on this movie uh from the get-go. I thought it was uh I think it's one of his best films as I said before. Um I think that the the love story is so tender and beautiful in this film and I think that it's so uh well played by Sally Hawkins in particular. Um she just breaks your heart. She just she's just wonderful. She's a wonderful actress every time I've ever seen her in anything. If um, if this year like weren't as competitive, like I would just hands down say like she gets the Oscar for this role. I thought she was great. And who do you uh, think's going to get the Oscar for the role, for their role I, in whatever? Who do I think? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be her, uh, but it could be Saoirse Ronan. Um, yeah, it could be you know Margot Robbie. Well, probably I not. think she's a bit more of a dark horse than yeah, she Sally Hawkins. I don't, yeah, that's probably true. But Sally I Hawkins has been like, nominated before at least. Right, I think that. Uh, I think Sorcerer Ronan is probably the one that I would bet on for now. That's fair. That's fair. Um, with this film, though, I, I really felt like it was... Uh, one of my big complaints about Guillermo del Toro as a, as a storyteller, and I think all of those films that I mentioned being problematic before, uh, one of the reasons that he gets into that territory is that he doesn't take the amount of time that he needs to take to flesh out the characters or the world he just kind of presents it. He's like, okay, now we need to get to the next cool thing. And uh, and it, and the story suffers for it because it's like he's rushing from one cool thing to the next. And it kind of feels like that. Even Pan's Labyrinth, which I love, I feel like it's kind of like trying to rush to get to the next trial, right? To the next like nifty encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and they pay off in spades in, in a movie like Pan's Labyrinth especially. But I feel like that's that's sort of a uh, a storytelling weakness that Guillermo del Toro has because he uh, he has a desire uh, to to share these amazing things in his brain with the with the world. But this film, much like The Devil's Backbone, I feel like actually took its time to really, really. It was very patient. Right, it was mm. it was a very patient film, and uh, the the payoff, so to speak, uh, is earned. And I don't I don't feel like it um, I don't feel like it's compressed or rushed in any way. And uh, and for me, that was very refreshing in a in a Del Toro film because it, it's it's you know it's kind of like a unicorn. It's only once every three or four films that he 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 manages to to hit that mark. And uh, and so for me, this was really a delight because not only did I 
find it fascinating. And not only did I buy into the love story and the interspecies romance, but um, I thought that he actually he actually earned the 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 arc of the film. That I would agree with, and I think that uh, the screenplay which he co-wrote with Vanessa Taylor does does eventually get to a place where even even though I was not on board, I was kind of like, oh, well, they, they did kind of fully realize the potential of the story that they were telling. Mm. Um, as you say, they earned it. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but this, you know, this full disclosure, uh, this movie won't be on my top 10 list of the year. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm pleased that that the people involved are getting noticed for it because it's full of good people, both actors and both, uh, I'm not as familiar with the crew other than Del Toro, sure, but, sure. uh, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an, <laughs> I know this sounds like faint praise, but it's an expertly made film. I have to, I have to give it credit. Uh, I was just not on board. Just not on board. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's not for everybody. I'll admit that. Um, it is fantastical and bizarre and, uh, and at times very grotesque. Um, you know, it gets very gruesome at certain points. I mean, it it is rated R for a reason. Uh Um, but the, the film itself for me, I, I found it to be charming, enchanting, emotionally moving, um, I shed a few tears at the end of the film. Um, I I really uh, it hit all of the right notes for a, a Del Toro film for me. Like I, I feel like this is of a kind with those other films, Pan's Labyrinth and uh, Devil's Backbone, uh, especially. And uh, and it's just man, it was a beautiful film, just absolutely beautiful, beautiful performances all around. Um, Octavia Spencer is fantastic. Richard, Richard Jenkins is magnificent. Michael Stuhlbarg is fantastic. Michael Shannon, even though you may have wanted a bigger performance out of him, I thought he was spot on as exactly the right kind of just terrifyingly cold um, character mm-hmm. uh, that he is in this. And and I think that you know uh, it's you know sometimes sometimes. Um, a not so good director will allow those performances to suffer in the service of their vision, but this manages to achieve both that vision and maintain solid performances in the film. And and for me, that's really uh, a tricky mix. And uh, and I think it's it it, it works in this film. I, I highly it should, recommend it. It should also be noted that. Del Toro did all that uh, with English not being his first language. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, he's, you know, this is like his first, well, it's not his first American film, but it's almost his first American uh, film that he actually counts as one of his best works. Yeah, and I would, I would agree that it's his first English language film that works in the same way that Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I think that he, he has gotten over whatever home. I mean, you know, who knows what he's going to do next? He might, he might make, uh, uh, blade four and I'll, <laughs> I'll hate it. But although I had a friend who just told me that uh, I should revisit blade two, cause it's a lot better than I remember it. Um, I have a hard time believing that, but, uh, I might go back to it. We'll see. I'm unfamiliar with any of the blades. Well, it's uh, 
It's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound very encouraging. No, no. First one's right, pretty well, good. First one's pretty good. One to watch. Will Will Guillermo del Toro take home the Best Director Oscar? Will he be nominated? Probably. Uh, Probably. We shall see. That's our show, though, about The Shape of Water. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we're going to be talking about our next film. It's going to be The Last Jedi. Ooh. That's our next episode. Um, boy, talk about a film that has divided people. Yeah, shockingly so. I mean, I guess yeah. not really, because the internet is a terrible place, but uh, but still, shockingly so. Well, I wonder, we're going to talk all about it. Maybe we'll even get to talk about if it's divided people who aren't on the internet. Oh, oh, I'm excited to hear what you have to say, Phil. Well, I was hoping you would have something to say about it. I that. may. I very well might. Okay. Well, stay tuned for that. We'll see you then.